0: Welcome to Evening Coffee. This week, we have a very special episode. For this week's episode of Evening Coffee, we have our very first interview on the show. I got the very fortunate chance of interviewing Rob Moose. If you don't know, he's a two-time Grammy-winning musical arranger, he came on the show to talk about his most recent project with Phoebe Bridgers, the EP Copycat Killer, which contains four songs from her recent album Punisher that have all been re-recorded with a brand new orchestral arrangement from Rob Moose. These new songs, to me, they feel like entirely different than the way I originally listened to them on the original album. And even though there's only four songs that have been re-recorded for this EP... Due to the musical denseness and all the detail added from these arrangements and from the re-recording, it felt like I was listening to a whole new album's worth of material. I fell in love with Punisher when it first came out, and now it felt like I was falling in love with these songs sort of all over again. And what was most interesting about doing this interview and being able to interview Mr. Moose was that before this EP, I did not know a ton about this person to be honest. Now, I'm not saying that as someone who thinks he knows everything and everyone about the modern music scene, because I know I don't. I'm saying that because as I did research for this interview, and even after, I was sort of shocked that I hadn't known his name before this, because of the impact he's had on the modern music scene, and just even my own personal music taste in general. He's created arrangements for a lot of the most influential artists of the last 15 years. And all the songs he's created arrangements for are my favorite songs from these artists. Chicago by Sufjan Stevens, Holocene, and "I Me" by Bon Iver. And even the most recent songs from Taylor Swift's acclaimed folklore, Last Great American Dynasty and Exile, are my favorite songs from Taylor Swift out of all of her records. And all these songs contain arrangements composed by Rob Moose. So I sort of discovered throughout this entire process that even though I didn't know this person's name off the top of my head, I've been a fan of his work for a very long time. So I am really amazed that I got this opportunity to interview him and talk about this new EP. We also talked about all his different collaborations with all of his other artists and sort of his process for creating all these arrangements. We also talked about the group he co-founded and is an active member of Y Music, which is a fantastic chamber ensemble, and he also hinted at having some solo stuff coming out soon, which is really cool. So I hope you guys enjoyed the interview, and by the way, he he's coming from his home studio on the East Coast, and we talked for a very long time about everything I've mentioned and more, so I'm really happy that this got to be my first interview, and so here it is, my interview with Rob Moose. Okay, so... Thank you very much for coming on to evening coffee Uh, because the show is evening coffee. I first want to ask you the question, uh, what is your go-to coffee order?
1: Oh man, I'm actually one of those weird people who like never started drinking coffee. I, but I, but I actually do. um, I have a lot of friends who are connoisseurs mm -hmm. and I love wine and and other beverage things. So it's kind of, people are always shocked that I don't that I'm not a regular coffee drinker, but I'm just like, such an energetic like from the get-go in the morning kind of person you wouldn't really want me to have coffee regularly but I do try if I'm in a special place and somebody says like you've got to have this um, I will often try um, maybe a cortado or something like that Um, and my favorite place I've ever had coffee from is in Oslo it's called Tim Wendelbo and it's just amazing it's that like super light roast Mm -hmm. thing so yeah, I'm I'm a connoisseur without being a drinker of coffee. How about that?
0: <laughs> sounds really good. Sounds yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I get that. So, I first want to ask you, how did you originally start out doing orchestral arrangements? What got you into music?
1: Uh, all my grandparents were musicians, and my uh, my parents started me on piano when I was five, and then I heard the violin in school the same year, and I just like flipped out over it and begged to play. So, I grew up. Um, studying classical music, and uh, but always listening to rock music on the radio and you know CDs that I would buy and things like that. And so I think I was always kind of interested in both sides of the, the aisle, so to speak. And um, I moved to New York City to go to college at Manhattan School of Music and uh, was just really blown away by like the live music scene here and started going to see uh, lots of different shows and different kind of uh, varieties of music. And I was struck by seeing um, instruments i associated with the orchestra or classical music um being used in live shows with amplification and and bands playing and i i had no idea that 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 those worlds could kind of meet in that way so that that became a kind of an eye-opening thing for me and when i was still in college i started playing with a group called my brightest diamond um the singer shara nova she's amazing she's actually from uh from texas and um and she led me to, she was working with Sufjan Stevens, and so through her I ended up playing on Sufjan's Illinois album, Song Chicago and all that stuff, and then she uh, connected me also to Anthony and the Johnsons and The National, which later connected me to Bon Iver, and through those different groups, um, they were interested in having orchestral instrumentalists join them um, for performances and recordings. And Sometimes they would write parts out like Sufjan for his Illinois album had handwritten the arrangements. And, and then it started to be like there would be opportunities to contribute to arranging um, because I think they, they thought like, oh, these people, they play this music all the time. Maybe they have an idea of what they should play. So I got really interested in, in helping to create the arrangements um, and sort of learned through that process over you know, after graduating from school, just kind of never really like formally studied arranging except for, you know, referencing orchestration textbooks and things like that. But it was mostly just through listening and trying.
0: I guess, as well as contemporary composers, are there any classical ones that you're into as well?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I grew up uh, listening to just like, you know, like Beethoven and Mozart and Tchaikovsky and stuff like that. And I loved violin and listening to violin concertos. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. It's it's almost hard for me to even understand how I felt that way now. <laughs> but but um, so I think that I, I just like have had that that back, background in, in my, you know, in my ears for my whole life. Um, and then when I was in school, I got really into more contemporary music, like um, stuff that's not even that new at this point, but to me was new, like Charles Ives and Stravinsky and um, Ned Roram. And, um, and then, you know, nowadays, like, with my group Y Music, we get to play uh, pieces that are that we commission from these great young composers like Andrew Norman and Nico Muley and Caroline Shaw and Missy Mazzoli and and tons of people. So I think you know we're always discovering new things. And whether it's conscious or not, I think the stuff that that I get to play as a chamber musician and listen to, no doubt, kind of informs things that I'll hear when I'm approaching somebody's pop song.
0: All right, so. I guess you have mentioned a lot of different artists at this point. Can you hone in on one specifically that was the most influential to you throughout becoming a musician, becoming an arranger?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the first group that I joined, um, that was like a touring entity after college, was called Anthony and the Johnsons, and the, the singer now goes by the name Anoni. Um, and I just I did an audition as actually as a guitarist uh, when I was like twenty two. And we did a tour in the US. And then that same year, the group was nominated for this thing in the UK called the Mercury Prize, which we ended up winning. And it just opened up this massive market in Europe for touring. And I was working with that group really actively for like, uh, really like 10 years. And those were my first opportunities really to arrange and work with Orchestras in the context of being in a band, and I eventually got to write orchestrations and conduct concerts with orchestras all over Europe and and uh, and here in the states a little bit too. Um, and I had like a really unique perspective on the music because I was in the band as a guitarist and violinist, but I also obviously had this classical background um, and training. So I feel like I was able to serve as sort of a translator in a way for for the singer in in working with these groups of people who were just used to like notated music and helping to advocate for uh, her perspective musically in a more conservative environment. So uh, as the years go by, I realize how much I learned from that tenure in that group and how grateful I am. It was almost like a second schooling for me.
0: That's cool. So you've worked with artists like Boney Vare and Sufjan Stevens. It seems like they have come a lot through connections, but all these artists do seem to kind of have a sort of unified, I guess, sound in a way that they're all very personal, and they do have these sort of haunting, sad, very real lyrics. And I guess what I'm wondering is, what do you normally look for when you are collaborating with another artist? Is it that sort of personalness, that sort of... um beautiful, real emotion that they contain in their music.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just um, you know you're struck right away by by someone's individualism and uniqueness and all of those artists and and uh, and other ones that I've gotten to work with just they're they're just like really, really them they've which is not to say that they're they're not influenced um, by lots of artists, but I think over time they've kind of honed or even from a young age from a first album, they've honed, Something where it's like, oh my god, that that line or the way that they sing that or um, this this uh, texture in their music is just very them. Like, you know, Justin singing in Bon Iver, Like, once once people heard that, that just that just like kind of opened up a whole new universe. And I don't even, I don't even know if I could explain what it is that's unique about it. But his layering, the sound of his voice, the registers, the treatment of it. It's like it's just like, oh, that's that Bonivere Iver sound, you know. And I think we all can recognize that. So I. I was I've been lucky that throughout my career from early on i've I've worked with artists who had a really distinct sound and I think um, I just sort of I just sort of look for that and 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 latch on to those people because you know that they're gonna do interesting and distinctive work. and I try to you know help them uh, help elevate their music in ways or help reveal things that are already there that could be made more clear with an arrangement.
0: Yeah, can you tell me about that process that you have with these other musicians? Like how do you, go about making these arrangements? What's the collaboration process like?
1: Yeah, it's a little different with everybody, um, but I would say more and more, uh, maybe because of the relationships um, being a longer term and also the way technology is now and the pandemic too, um, it it tends to be more most often that people will just send me a track that they want uh, something added to and, and they might give me a few, ideas but they'll kind of just like let me try something and then i'll send uh I'm, I'm in my my home studio right now and i sit right over over here with my you know in front of my microphones and and um just try recording stuff and send it back to them and and we kind of hone in on it from there um justin vernon of bon Iver is is probably the most like he's always looking for something very adventurous and he'll he'll sometimes have a reference of like you know, this Duke Ellington track or, you know, there'll be something that he's he's grown up listening to that he he wants the kind of spirit of, but he never will try to like, you know, hold me to being literal to that. And so some people will be like, come in on a second chorus and, and do something like this. And, you know, and then other people are just like, I just want to hear what you do um, and respond to that. I think the most challenging thing sometimes is when somebody says like, I love that stuff you do on a Bon Iver song. And then, but then their music is entirely different. And it's like, the way that I play on a Bon Iver track, it's not just like I, I would play that way all the time. That's the only thing I know how to do. It's sort of, that's a synergy of, of, of my aesthetic and, and what I'm hearing in the music. So sometimes it's hard to, re- to reproduce that for someone else, um, especially if their music is uh, feels like um, more more mainstream or pop or kind of safer in some way. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hear those kind of stranger ideas, but those are some of the ways it happens. Um, it's rare that somebody's like, this is exactly what I want. Can you do this?
0: So I guess now switch over talking about this recent EP. You're a part of it, Phoebe Bridgers. I first want to ask, how did you originally meet Phoebe?
1: I met Phoebe through um, her producer, Tony Berg, who's somebody that I met like 10 years ago, working on a, a record by an artist called Elizabeth and the Catapult. And Tony's had a really long career in LA as a um, musician, producer, Record label person, and he's just a great, um, he's a, a real mentor to hundreds of musicians. He's great at working with young, up and coming songwriters and helping them really refine their work and their sound. And so we met, and, and, um, and he's, he's gotten me on a lot of projects. He introduced me to Blake Mills, um, which is a, you know, a really meaningful lifelong relationship musically and personally. And, um, So he, at some point in like, I don't know what year it would have been. I think, I think early, like late 2015. Um, he just told me that he was working on a record with a young artist, Phoebe Bridgers. And, and he wanted to know if I could do strings for it. And I live in New York city and there he's based in LA. And so is Phoebe. So I flew out there to work on it. And, um, and that's when we first met in the studio. I had no idea how, how young she was. I had just heard her music and thought it was really good. And, uh, and it was, like, I think after after we finished recording her album that I was like, oh, you're 21 or wh- whatever she was at the time because she was just such a mature writer and person and just had, like, a very calm but confident presence. Um, and I was just really struck by that. I would have, you know. Uh, and I felt like that was uh, I loved working on her music and um, the way – I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm sure – but just the way that people responded to – her music and and the little role I played in it, it sort of felt like this was a significant artist with whom to be affiliated. So I'm really psyched that I got to meet her. So how did this
0: specific collaboration come about? She's done sort of manipulations of her songs before live, but never real studio recording like this. So I wonder how did this all come to be?
1: Yeah. Well, if I understand correctly, um, the store, Rough Trade, the vinyl store and the uk and there's uh, there's some in, in the us too i think um they every year choose their favorite 10 releases of the year or something like that and then they they ask the artists who are chosen for those spots to either give them like unreleased tracks or demos or new versions or something to kind of you know i don't really know they, they just have this tradition of doing that and then they'll they'll help market the records or so there was there was like a an opportunity slash requirement to to turn in something um, related to Punisher, uh, which they said was their second favorite album of the year. So um, Phoebe called me up in July and and was like, um, I guess the, the real backstory is that I've been working gradually on a project of um, string in voice recordings. That'll be something that'll be released uh, under my name at some point. And um, so she's heard some things that I've done that are like, where the tracks are just strings in voice. And um, she was like, "Hey, I've got this, this opportunity to do something. Do you think uh, you could do that type of thing that you're doing? Um, for, for some songs from Punisher. And uh, I have a four month old son and he had, he was like four weeks old at the time and and they were like, "We need this in a week." And I just you know, I had no idea how I, I could I, how I could do it, but I, at the same moment that I realized that I was like, I have to do this because I love. I love, uh, that record. I love Phoebe's work. This is a really cool opportunity. So she just kind of put it to me like that and was like, just listen to the record and choose whatever songs you want. And, and then let me know how you want to create them. And so, um, like I said, I had about a week and I just dove in and I was just, I just worked overnight for four nights and did one song each night, sent it to her. And then later she, a couple days later, she did her vocals and that was the, that's the overview of, of how it happened. And I'm so happy that it exists and that I was able to be insane and say yes, because I'm, I'm just really proud of, um, having made it and you know, what it is.
0: This being one of the projects that was made during this present COVID-19 crisis, I'm probably asking the question every musician gets asked, but how was creating this arrangement for this project sort of different than it would be if we weren't in the middle of a grand crisis?
1: I don't know. I am not sure if it was different. I mean, I think maybe maybe we would have for the process of her doing her vocals or for the the project being mixed and things like that, maybe maybe in a perfect world we would have been in the same place. But so much of the work that I do is actually from wherever I am and working with people like people will write me from Finland and you know all, all over I don't know why I thought of Finland, but um all over the place and I don't necessarily meet them and work with them in person. So in, in in some sense it was just like my normal my normal process um but i think there was uh i think i think the art of it was actually informed by the time maybe more than more than the process like i think just the way that we've all been living and what we've been experiencing through this no doubt goes into what you make and if you're working on phoebe bridger's songs there's a there's a tragic beautiful kind of almost dystopic thing that is is in there that i i, I think If anything, I was just more um, capable of tapping into because of the backdrop of the world at the moment.
0: And so you may have already answered this, and I apologize if I'm asking it again, but the four songs chosen for this EP are Punisher, Savior Complex, Chinese Satellite, and Kyoto. So I was wondering if you'd talk about all why these specific songs were chosen.
1: Yeah, um, I... Well, Savior Complex" is my favorite song of hers. I remember when I first heard it, uh, leading up to to working on it for her for her album "Punisher," and I just thought, "Man, that is a great song." I, these lyrics are just from the opening line, the, the way she sings, the emotional affair, and it's it's over this very like you know folksy kind of hopeful, but has that sort of major seven thing. I just was really struck by that song and I, I got to do strings on that one and Chinese satellite and um and Punisher not on not on Kyoto actually. So those were ones that were kind of natural for me to revisit I think just because I had done something on the album and I and like with Punisher there was this idea I'd had for the chorus. That's that's on the recording, but uh it's this rhythmic kind of flip thing that I did in one of the choruses where the whole song is kind of in three or six, eight, however you want to hear it. And I just really felt this kind of four thing against it that I wanted to play with. So I thought this would be a fun opportunity to really take it there because it's only me and her voice. So if if that's what I do, that's what it's going to feel like. So, um, so that was kind of fun. And I wanted to do Kyoto because that was a real kind of rock song on the record. And I watched the New York times diary of a song about that. And, and, um, she talked about how it started off in her kind of typical more like ballady way and that they really transformed it in the process of recording and i thought it would be interesting to sort of take it back to where it came from and almost make it like this elegy like something that you would play at someone's funeral um i was kind of just thinking about like what would how would it how would this song sound if adele covered it (laughs) you know um so And then, and Chinese Satellite was a fun challenge because it's so rhythmic, and I wanted to keep it that way. But I wanted to do it all on on bowed string instruments, so I I got really into kind of just hitting, doing ricochet type sounds. I guess you know, well maybe by the time this this interview comes out, all the music will be released, but um, like nobody's heard what I'm talking about yet. But um, uh, yeah, I think each song kind of felt like an opportunity to explore a different musical strategy in a way, and they were all songs that I just really. I loved. I, I I wish that there was the opportunity to just do the whole damn record because it's like it would uh, when I when I was done, I was sort of like I, I missed doing that work because it was just a beautiful process and like like uh, you had to really bare your soul, but I also had to work quickly so I couldn't second guess myself and um it just was so fun working with that material.
0: Well, the orchestral version of Kyoto sounds amazing, and I'm very sure the other songs are also going to be very good. And so looking over to, you performed with some of the most important artists of, I feel like, mine and their respective generation, like Jay-Z and Sarah Brellis and Taylor Swift. And so how did those those performances come to you?
1: I think a lot of the stuff just, you know, you're, you're a part of a community as a performer and, and recording artist. And the, you can be lucky enough that the people that you meet right when you get started, if, if you know, you find yourself in the right kind of stream that, um, those relationships will continue. And people, uh, like Taylor Swift thing, for instance, that was produced by Aaron from the national, most of those tracks. And he's somebody I met in like 2007 through that singer. I mentioned Shara Nova, who's got the group, my brightest diamond. And I played some shows with the national back then, and we've kept in touch and he started producing more and more records. And every once in a while, he'll hit me up and ask me to do strings on something. And, um, and then, of course, like he works with Justin a lot on the Big Red Machine project, and so that was that actually happened right before my son was born, and it, I had to sign an NDA and had no idea who the artist was. But he was he was just like, I've got this stuff, and it's a really big artist. I can't tell you who it is, and I need you to do this like right away. And you know, so that that happened that way. But it so was very random. I've never met Taylor Swift or talked to her or anything, and um, but I've known Aaron for like fifteen years, and. So that that sort of happened that way, and I think that I, I've been lucky. Like people that I met early on in New York City um, uh, through this kind of collision of classical music and indie music, whatever, um, have all gone on to do very interesting things, and we've we've stayed close and kind of helped each other out and been able to hire each other for different things. And uh, you know, I'm really grateful for that. So uh, you never know. I mean, as a freelancer, you're just kind of waiting for somebody to ask you to do something. Um, there there are steps you can take to try to create work and there's your own projects that you can focus on to try to uh, keep growing as a musician and get people interested in what you're doing but but ultimately like you know you have you hope that people will hire you <laughs> so um, I've, I've been lucky most of the time
0: yeah so I saw that you do all these great live performances and I also saw you did a virtual performance with Bruce Hornsby recently uh, what was that like
1: yeah, that was really cool to be a part of the, his Bonnaroo thing. Um, uh, we didn't do it at the same time because he, because, uh, he wanted to represent the string arrangement I had done for his song, um, Rat King. And that had like eight or more layers of strings in it. So he, he recorded his set and then sent it to me and I, you know, videoed myself and, and, um, uh, and recorded myself, and and then you know, so it was like the the closest thing we could do in terms of um, interacting with each other. But given the fact that I had to play multiple layers of strings, uh, but yeah, that was that was really nice. He's been such a—I uh, feel so lucky to have met him um, four or five years ago. He was somebody whose music I heard a lot as a kid. My parents had his records, and um, I never would have thought I would cross paths with him. You know, he's just like—that's a legendary guy, and. And uh, through his relationship with Justin Vernon, and um, and through my Group Y music, uh, we got to do some some recordings with him, and that have led to me doing more. and And he's just been so kind and encouraging. And uh, talk about somebody who really wants you to just go for it and create something that you, you would even surprise yourself when you when you heard it. I think um, he's he's got just a very adventurous spirit, and uh, it's been so nice getting to know him.
0: Yeah, and I definitely want to ask you about why music and how that sort of came to be
1: yeah that is um that's related to these other stories i've been telling about groups like the national and stuff we actually formed through a meeting that happened at at a bar after a national concert in 2008 we were just a lot of us were kind of playing with these bands um being hired kind of haphazardly and playing with groups that that you know had been together for a really long time. And then all of a sudden you're playing with somebody that you don't know. And it just felt like what those groups were doing was really interesting. And we really admired it. And we wanted to create a group that could specialize in those types of collaborations. So CJ Camarari and I, he's a trumpet player in the group, we had a series of meetings to try to talk about like, what, what would a group look like that could do this? And we ended up coming up with a strange instrumentation because it was based entirely on the personnel of who we wanted to be in the group, not really an instrumentation that, that we would have picked uh, out of a hat. Like um, uh, we, we just wanted this person and that person to be in the group. So we ended up with three strings, flute, clarinet, and trumpet, which is sort of like a smashed mini orchestra. So it sort of worked out well, um, but we were just trying to choose instruments that, that weren't in bands and, and people that would be interested in the project. Uh, so we started off uh, intending to be a collaborative unit And then we started getting opportunities to play by ourselves and commission our own music. And we realized that we really liked the way the group sounded on its own too. So we've now made like four, four, we've released four albums of our, of, of us playing chamber music, all written for the group. And we've recently in the last year started writing our own music and that's what we're doing during the pandemic because we're all, most of us are in different cities from each other at this point. And so we're, um, writing music and recording music and just sending it around and uh we meet every week on a zoom and like listen through what we've done and talk about what's coming up and it's helped us um get through this time because we can't be in the same place and we can't be performing live together right now so at least we're able to keep the creative momentum going that way and we're really excited about what we're coming up with and um and uh releasing it on on patreon every month a new track and just trying to like kind of keep let people know what we're what we're doing and uh maybe one it'll become our next album or who knows
0: gotcha yeah so one of the last questions i want to ask you is i saw you have a podcast
1: oh i, I contribute i contribute to one yeah
0: oh okay uh what podcast do you contribute to
1: it's called punch up the jam it's my friend miel who uh i've, I've known for a long time who's um a, a comedian and she and a musician and she um she the gist of the show is that she and a guest will sort of take apart a well-known song uh they'll like listen in 15 second clips and and talk about it and it's a very high energy funny show and then the reason it's called punch up the jam is that you they every week they take one of these songs and try to come up with what could make it better and make a new recording you know so like um one of the most recent episodes was in the metallica song enter sandman and she recorded uh some of it all with like with all in major chords because she felt like the lyrics were very kind of childlike and like they were supposed to be scary but there was all this like childlike imagery but then the music was all like hard and minor and so she she was like i don't want to change the words i'll change the music to match the the words so there's something like that that they do um and i was a guest on an episode uh i think in december and i chose to talk about the song uh black hole sun by soundgarden which i've always just thought was an amazing song and I just wanted to like have a, have an excuse to, to analyze it more. And I decided to do the punch up. So I found Chris Cornell's vocals on YouTube and I made a version um, of just strings and his voice. Like I've just been doing this over and over and over again, trying to learn how to do that. And, uh, it got a really great response and, and I proposed the idea to her that on every episode I do like a little segment. I, I, um, kind of like, a. As if like when they go over to the we- like get the weather report and they're like uh, now so and so with weather, they sort of kick it to me and for like three minutes I'll do like a quick music theory analysis um, of whatever the song is and like a I so I've done that for like a Britney Spears song and a Madonna song and you know sometimes the songs are really like not ones that you'd expect to be talking about music theory about them but it's fun to just see what's there and and try to find a language to communicate to to, to regular music listeners who aren't necessarily. Um, musically trained but but show them some stuff like oh this is why this chorus feels this way or you know things like that that might enhance their appreciation and maybe help them uh get into more sophisticated or or other kinds of music i shouldn't say more sophisticated but just you know might open their ears up a little bit
0: all right it's pretty cool so that's pretty much all the questions i have right on i guess before i go is there anything other than copycat killer that's coming up that you think listeners would be interested that you have going on
1: Gosh, I hope so. I don't know if, if there's anything that I can talk about um, or that I can even remember. Uh, <laughs> but, but like I said, there's our, my group. Why music is we're we're releasing music every month through Patreon, um, and uh, and I think we actually just made one of our tracks a, f- a free track for anyone who just like visits our. You can you can find where where it is. I forget, but um, we were excited about the the news of the election and wanted to do something to celebrate that. So, um, yeah, man, that's, that's my main kind of creative, creative endeavor at this point. And uh, I will have a big announcement about my own solo work soon.
0: Awesome. Well, that sounds great. Thank you once again for coming on to evening coffee. It's been wonderful to have you on. Thank you. And to talk about copycat killer, why music, everything you've been a part of. It's been really interesting and yeah, just thank you once again.